Following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat, Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. I hope that all of you have been staying cool. (laughs) This last weekend was just so hot, I just wanted to stay holed up inside my air-conditioned apartment and pretend that it was fall. Well, I didn't get to do that because I was teaching and sweating it up at Steps on Broadway, which is really not a complaint. Uh, But speaking of Steps, I I wanted to remind you that I'm giving away one free comp class uh, to take my intermediate advanced level ballet through August 5th. So you can head over to my contact page on my website at www.barrycorollis.com. That's www.barrycorollis.com. And be sure to send me your name, your skill level, and the dates that you'd like to attend class. Uh, Each week, I will have one winner, and it's first come, first serve to win. It's really that easy to win. <laughs> so get on on my website and send me a request. And just a reminder, classes are uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 2.30 to 4 p.m. Uh, and that's through August 5th. That's a Friday. And I also have one class this coming Saturday on July 30th from 4.30 to 6. And don't forget, all students must be at an appropriate skill level to attend and... It is one class per person, so unfortunately I can't give away tons and tons of classes. But I'm really looking forward to meeting some of you, so make sure that if you're in my classes, or even if you come and take, I take Nancy Bilski's class most mornings, so come and say hi to me. Don't be shy. I'm not really that scary. (laughs) At the moment, I'm broadcasting to you from hot, hot Philadelphia. It's probably about 95 degrees today, which is actually not as bad as it's been the past couple of days. And while the weather is keeping us really toasty here, it's actually even hotter in Philly because the Democratic National Convention is preparing to name Hillary Clinton their presidential candidate. Woohoo! So excited about that. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Hillary and the presidential election, I'm not really one to get very political very often, but I feel it's important for any artist that is listening, any person who is or cares for an LGBTQ human being, anybody who is or who cares about somebody in a a minority group, or any being that believes our country is truly founded on equality and acceptance of the personal choices our freedom is supposed to allow us to make, to go out and vote Democratic. I know a handful of people personally who despise Hillary Clinton which doesn't include me, but that's fine. But I urge all of you out there listening and who are probably listening specifically to the Premier Dance Network because of your artistic inclinations to vote for a party that is working towards a goal of equality and respect of one another, even though they may not be there yet. (laughs) All right, I'm glad that I got that out of the way. 
So now let's talk dance. Since I started off this week's podcast with a little bit of politics, I figured why not bring it around full circle and talk more politics. Only politics and how, I, how they affect our arts. <laughs> I love that I just said I'm never political, but I guess I'm getting it out of the way in one fell swoop. So, I, I want to discuss today why it's important to vote for politicians that have an eye towards the arts. Starting this off, uh, I'd like to tell a story from my first year that I danced with Pacific Northwest Ballet. I just happened to join the company around the second time that Bush was elected into office in 2004. Back long, long ago, at least in dance life years, which I think are probably closer to dog years, uh... <laughs> But a long, long time ago, in a faraway land called Seattle, I joined Pacific Northwest Ballet during its last year under their uh, the directors that were responsible for really establishing this company into a renowned national company. Kent Stowell and Francia Russell were co-directors of the company. I remember the day after the election went to Bush, the presidential election, and the disappointment in the air when the vote didn't swing Democratic was pretty tangible. But more so, I, I remember a twinge of fear permeating throughout the building the morning after the election. This fear was more personal, as we knew a man was elected to the highest office in our country who openly stated that he believed in major cuts for the arts. Francia Russell is an extremely wise woman, and instead of letting that fear hang like smog polluting our atmosphere, she spoke up before class even began. I remember her distinctly telling us the importance of voting and the importance of seeking out representatives who support and wish to promote the arts on a national scale, beyond local, beyond regional, but on a national scale. What struck me even more was her observation on the states that voted and or how the states voted and two glaringly obvious traits that seemed to be representative of the political leaning of each state. She simply stated, look at the map. <laughs> the, the states that are blue almost all touch water and almost all have thriving art scenes where most of the red states, the ones that voted more conservatively, they were landlocked and have less established art scenes. This fascinating fact has stayed with me throughout my years. It was surprising to see how democratic-leaning states supported the arts, and through that support, these states had more enticing cultural scenes than most of the Republican-leaning states. It was a fact that really couldn't be denied. No matter what you felt, if you looked at the map, it really showed that truth. One of the most challenging parts of being an arts organization in the U.S., especially a dance organization, is gaining funding to put on programs, which includes things like production and theater rental, facility costs, paying your employees, and by paying your employees, I mean often less than many other thriving organizations. Americans don't have state support systems set up like they do in Europe, where the government gives money to support productions and employees, but many companies in the U.S. somehow get by. Other than seeking out private donations from donors and corporations, one of the only pathways to receive funding to put on productions for arts organizations in the U.S. is to apply for resources through extremely limited grant programs. 
And while these grant programs are great, they tend to be highly competitive with a small amount of actual grants for a great number of applicants. And they often have strict stipulations that involve creating additional programs outside of their specific need, which it's really great. You do get some really amazing programs, but the grant only lasts for a certain amount of time. And once you've established that program, it's going to cost you additional money to maintain uh, after the grants have, have run out. All of this needs to be done just to create art and present it to the public. It can be very daunting and limiting, but at least it offers an option for public assistance beyond just seeking private donations from individuals and, and corporations. Now, here is the issue when we have a conservative-led government in the arts. When Democrats are in office, they have a tendency to support the arts more. They see the value and draw of having a vast array of quality art available to the public. Cities with more tourism options tend to flourish. Putting more money into these funders that supply grants to arts organizations helps keep a flow of new art and maintains quality organizations. Through this, more art has the opportunity to grow and the culture continues to grow with it. Now, when conservatives enter office, most of the time, they begin to pull funding from the arts, mainly because they feel that it should be privately funded and not a responsibility of the state. Or at least that's how I've perceived it. In other words, if you want art and culture, you should have to pay for it yourself, because not everybody wants the art that you like. But here's the problem. Most people don't realize that they love art or certain types of art until they experience it. Or sometimes they don't realize that they need art until it influences their lives in a life-altering way. Well, let me give you let me give an example of that because that that might seem like it's a bit far-stretching, but the best example I can give uh, is in music, in the art form of music. Music is readily available practically anywhere <laughs> uh, for your home or from your home to a store to a restaurant or your car. You don't really need to seek out music to have access to it like so many other art forms. How many people have healed a broken heart to the sounds of an artist's voice? How many people have fallen in love while dancing to the soft tones of a singer? How many people have celebrated an occasion with their favorite happy song playing? <laughs> Music is art that doesn't need to be sought, but it's art nonetheless, just like so many different art forms. Art in a museum, musical theater on a stage, dance, opera, orchestra, installation work, and more aren't always as accessible as music. And by accessible, I mean more than just down the street. Affordability is really a big thing here. But anyway, the, these art forms all function in their effects on people in similar ways. If you stand outside a theater as a matinee performance of <laughs> our favorite Nutcracker performance lets out, you'll see smiling kids dancing their way out of the theater with their parents affectionately following and just smiling as they watch them living out <laughs> their experience. When you walk around an art museum, you see diverse people from all walks of life. Smile, frown, ponder, sigh in awe, and so much more. People cry at the opera when 
the heroine loses her her love. People get goosebumps at the orchestra, and people forget their own problems as they remember the world is beautiful again, feel inspired to express themselves, or remember that they aren't the only person to ever experience loss, and so much more beyond that. All of these things are made by people for people, and they hold value that is irreplaceable on a human scale. But conservative politicians think that these things, the people's art, is a private want and not a need. And they are so, 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 how many times can I say so? They are so wrong. Take away funding for the arts and production values go down or disappear. Ticket prices soar and only become affordable for the upper classes. Often, a lot of those people are conservative. It takes away funding for the arts and the organizations that uh, that funding keeps running. They fold. Take away funding for the arts and schools have fewer resources. Take away resources and fewer teachers. teaching artists have tools for education. Take away education for the arts and fewer artists will ever realize their potential. Take away free or easy access to arts education and more kids are on the streets, not occupied by something that is really positive in their life. It's a dangerous precedent to defund our art scene as we already have so few resources to tap into at this point anyway. Being a working artist, I think about this topic a lot. So I've devised the perfect strategy to prove to those who believe in limiting funding of the arts in our country that even they need art in their lives. I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast uh, a few months or a couple weeks ago, back when the the Pulse shooting, the the nightclub shooting happened. But it's such a valid point that I want to repeat it again. If we could take music out of all of the lives of politicians who wish to end or limit arts funding, I think they would finally understand what I'm talking about. Take away the radio of these conservative politicians and silence their drives to work, the music that they play on their jobs, and more. Take away the background songs of all of their favorite movies and TV shows. Let them enter their political campaign conventions in utter silence as they wave to their supporters. As they wed, remove their live band playing their first dance with their love. Take every ounce of music out of their life and see how blandly black and white their day-to-day experiences and landmark moments become. If they respond, well, I pay for these things out of my personal accounts, they still won't get that point. The issue here that I'm trying to get across is that the defunding of arts won't mean you are punished from having access. I'm saying that these things may actually not be available to you. If an artist can't be educated in their art, or if they can't be inspired by a performance to go and seek out that education, how can they perform for you? They won't have the tools to create the soundtrack of your, of your life. So, many renowned artists get their starts thanks to programs in place that bring kids off the streets and introduce them to different forms of art. Beyond this, taking these kids off the streets keeps them out of trouble. And even if an artist doesn't become a professional in their field, they become better people, more understanding, more expressive, more creative people who are more valuable to our society. The funding of our arts is integral to the forward direction of our country. 
I'm not completely sure why conservatives, especially in states that would fund a massive sports team before a massive arts and entertainment scene, are so adamant to diminish arts in our country. When I was growing up, I distinctly remember the slow death of arts classes in our school. I remember hearing how schools were struggling and the first place schools cut funding was in our creative education. It just doesn't make sense. That mindset creates robots with no ability to inspire themselves or anybody else for that matter. It creates communities of uninspired, drone-like thinkers. We live in a country that is supposed to be based on the principles of freedom, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, and freedom of expression. If we truly want to make America great again, which I don't even believe that to be true, I believe that that's a horrible white supremacist way of approaching things, but if, we, if people feel that way and they want to make America great again, we need to listen to one another with compassionate understanding, appreciate how our differences are great because they open our mind and help us realize that there are many ways to live, and to connect through the universal languages of art. So, I urge you to take all of what's been said today and to vote for those political candidates that support the arts. There are so many reasons that I will be voting for Hillary Clinton, but one of the biggest reasons that I'm with her is because I know that she supports the arts and sees the benefit to society through the arts. In fact, I remember reading an article on artactionfund.org where Hillary spoke to a woman about the arts and how it could be used in approaching the difficult subject of domestic violence in different countries across Africa. It helped their society, societies handle these acts and solve these conflicts through theater and interaction. Amazing. The arts are amazing and important to humanity on so many different levels. Here at Potichat, I want to make sure that we cover as many areas of the dance world as possible, and I know that real-world world politics may seem unrelated, but I hope you can see why it actually is after our chat. I hope that you have found this episode insightful and provocative, and I really do hope that you go out and vote when the election comes. Remember, if there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out to me here if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique, choreography, or for speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies, choreographers, freelancers, and more are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, on Instagram where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Carolus, featuring my choreography, and Choreography, that's Core-ography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and movement. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. 
And remember to go out and support your local dance scene. Thank you.